I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Consciousness Podcast, where each week I have a conversation with an expert in some facet of human consciousness. This week I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Leonid Perlovsky. Dr. Perlovsky is a visiting scholar at Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. He's also a principal research physicist and technical advisor to the Air Force Research Laboratory at Hanscom Air Force Base. Our topic was music and consciousness, but I'd say it ended up being more about music, physics, and consciousness covering a wide range of topics from beauty and the pursuit of knowledge to the fundamental laws of consciousness to unrequited love. It was a great conversation. Remember, go get Dr. Pulaski's book on Amazon.com, Music, Passion, and Cognitive Function. So please, enjoy Dr. Leonid Pulaski. I I do appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me today. Um, As you know, this, uh, this new podcast is designed to talk to people of, you know, all different disciplines and areas, you know, from, you know, meditation to neuroscience, yeah. psychology, and, and doing some, you know, reading around the internet, I, I found you've got quite, quite a lot out there. And what really caught my eye was uh, music and consciousness. So I just wanted to ask you a few questions and, and get your insights and, and see what you have to say. Yes, certainly I'll be with Okay. Um, as I mentioned in my email, I think, you know, once I boiled it down in reading, reading through a bunch of this material of yours, I think there are three three areas, and I'll ask follow-up questions on these, but I think the three areas that really most intrigued me were, you know, how music has aided the evolution of human consciousness, um, how music helps synthesize the conscious and unconscious mind, which I find fascinating, um, and, and how music, yeah, and how, how music could be used to even further explore, develop one's own consciousness. That's That's always a point of mine is how do we further you know, get into the mind and, and discover, you know, what consciousness really is. So my questions will probably be designed around that. And if there's anything else you'd prefer you know, to talk about, you know, please let me know this is your time as much as it is mine. I, I think it is, well, these are great questions and I'll be glad to tell you what I think about them. Oh, wonderful. And I think they are very much uh, you know, address uh, my interest uh, in, in music. Oh, great. Great. So, I mean, real quick, you know, what I, what I haven't found here is what is your music background? Are you a, you know, a musician, a composer, a, a, an aficionado? No, actually I am, uh, let's say I'm a physicist. Right. And what I'm doing is, uh, I call it physics of the mind. It is, uh, uh, in other words, it is developing psychology based on the same, same principles on which physics is developed. Okay. And in that way, it is kind of new, uh, new area of science. Right, right. Okay. Well, what, what made you think about the, the music side of it? Well, some maybe 10 years ago, I started writing. I thought that I understand a lot about uh, the mind, and I started writing a book. And I was able to explain a lot about mine, uh, except music. And uh, I thought, well, that is a kind of a significant, uh, a significant missing part. We can, I cannot, couldn't accept that I understand mind if I did not understand what is music. Oh, okay. And I start thinking about music. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you did. So how, how would you how would you define I know, you know I know this is a 
a tough question. I, I remember a, a philosophy professor of mine, he said he hated to answer the question about what does he do for a living? And I think it's also hard to, to ask people, you know, to define consciousness, because I'm not sure that we've really gotten to a point where we have defined it. But I'd love to know what, you know, how you, what your perspective on consciousness is, or how you would describe it or define it. You know, I think uh, it is really not that complicated. If you think about it, consciousness is understanding of our own knowledge. How, uh, how you can describe it, for example, to say it simply, how can you describe in words what you know? And that's what you call your conscious about. Okay. Yeah, Does that it, make th sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, in line with, uh, you know, a lot of things that I've been looking at and understanding that's a really simple way to put it. So I, I would take it then, given your, your physics background and the way you just defined consciousness, I don't want to make an assumption, but you know, where, where do you stand on the, the mind-body duality of consciousness? Well, I would, uh, there's one way to say it, is that the goal of science is to explain mind through mechanisms of the brain. Is it does it kind of answer what you're saying about brain being body and uh, uh, mind is just how the thing. Right, okay. So we want to be able to uh, exp explain through the, mechanism of, uh, through the mechanism of the brain, we want to explain how the thing. Right, okay. That makes good sense. Um, you had mentioned, and this is, you know, from my my background, my, my undergraduate degree was in computer systems engineering. Okay. I ended up not, not uh, really getting into that. I ended up joining the Army instead. But um, okay. the, uh, the idea of quantum algorithms, quantum computing, those type of things, you know, I saw that you had mentioned working in that uh, quantum algorithms. And so I'm curious, you know, in your work with that, you know, what insights into consciousness, um, what questions of consciousness maybe have even come up during that work? It is a good question because a lot of people think that uh, uh, quantum effects are necessary to explain consciousness. And a while ago, I also was thinking that there are relationships. But eventually, I came to a conclusion that uh, quantum effects are not necessary to understand working of the, of working of the mind and uh, consciousness. Uh, I'd say. Uh, it is, uh, people tend to relate these two things because it's difficult sometimes to understand what is consciousness, uh, and it is difficult to, uh, uh, to understand certain aspects of quantum physics. And so people think, well, if you, if you connect two difficult things, maybe you will come up with an, uh, with an explanation. But eventually I came to a conclusion that you don't need uh, quantum effects to understand consciousness. Okay. Um, did you gain, you know, when you were doing that research, did, did it help you find any new insights into consciousness or any new ideas on consciousness come from, from that work? Yeah, essentially I would say I had to understand consciousness without oh. quantum mechanisms. And it is possible, and if you... Think about consciousness not as something that is also difficult to understand, but in a simple way that consciousness is uh, 
really understanding or being able to explain what you understand. You've been able to explain your knowledge. Then uh, you don't need uh, quantum mechanisms to do that. Right, I see. I see. Yeah, and that really goes back to your your definition of consciousness as being able to explain and understand your own knowledge. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Okay. Um, and this next one, this next question is about, you know, your work and looking to formulate mathematical principles of the mind. Um, that specific work, was that related to the, the quantum mechanisms or was this a, a separate thing you took on? No, no, it is a separate thing. I uh, came to a conclusion, well, I'm a, uh, an editor-in-chief of journal uh, uh, Physics of Life reviews. And uh, uh, the editors, uh, editor, editorial board of the journal came up with, an, uh, with uh, understanding what is physics, uh, uh, what is physics of life and what is physics of the mind. And uh, the physics, and in which way physics is different from other mechanisms. Uh, physics uh, is based, every area of physics, say Newtonian mechanics, is based on explaining a uh, significant part of the world Right. from few basic principles. Uh, like, for example, there are just three Newtonian uh, Newtonian laws which explain the entire classical mechanics. And... Uh, right. So, uh, and in the same way it is necessary, and in this way physics is different from uh, all other sciences. Like, for example, uh, psychology does not attempt to explain significant part of mind from few basic principles. Uh, and physics of the mind is different from psychology in that physics of the mind exactly is trying to do that. So how to formulate, is it possible to formulate few basic principles uh, which could be mathematically described and which could be used to explain significant part of what mind Right, so... Working toward uh, Perlovsky's three principles or, or three laws of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good enough. The mind, uh, actually, it is possible to uh, formulate several basic principles of the mind. They're, they're not uh, laws of Perlovsky. Uh, several, you know, many people work, were working on understanding those basic principles, even so. Uh, uh, but maybe I was the one who was trying to formulate them that way. Uh, so, uh, just for example, what are the fundamental laws of the mind? I would say uh, the first one we can name mechanisms of concept. Okay. Okay, mechanism of concept is understood to significant uh, part due to Grossberg, uh, professor at uh, Boston University. And, uh, this, uh, the, the, and the mechanism is relatively simple. Uh, it is not easy to explain it mathematically, 
but in principle it is not that difficult. Okay. Mechanism of concept is matching uh, your memories to patterns in the world. Like for example, you look at the desk in front of you and uh, you understand that at the desk when you are able to match your memories of desks that you have seen in the past in your life, when you match it to particular desks that you're looking at now, at this moment of match, you understand that you're looking at uh, that you're looking at uh, a particular desk in front of you. Right. And this is a fundamental uh, mechanism of the mind, which we call mechanism of concept. Okay, mechanism of, of uh, consciousness or of concept? No, this is a mechanism of concept. Okay. Not con well, it is related to consciousness. We become conscious about the fact that we are looking at the, at the table when our memories of tables are matched to specific right. tables right. that we are looking at this one. Right. Okay. And what's uh, the second one? Another, another fundamental mechanism of the mind is <coughs> sorry. Oh, no worries. Is a mechanism of in instincts. Yes. Uh, what are instincts? Uh, what I'm, what I will tell now again, it is a mechanism uh, which uh, Stephen Grossberg, together with uh, Professor Levine came up uh, with oh, about maybe 30 years ago. Uh, the mechanism of instinct is uh, similar to internal sensor in our body. For, for example, uh, uh, when uh, uh, for example, we have uh, sensors in our body that measure sugar level in the blood. Right. And when sugar level in the blood goes below uh, a certain level, we feel it as hunger. And we have uh, many uh, many uh, sensors measuring sugar level, and not only sugar level, but a lot of other things. Right. Uh, so uh, instincts are uh, similar to sensors measuring vital parameters for our organism. What is necessary for us to survive, we have to know all the time if it is uh, within certain limits which are okay or maybe it is uh, uh, dangerously out of limits mm -hmm. so that's that's what is mechanism of instinct okay so we've got the uh, mechanism of concept mechanism of instincts are there, are there more yeah there are more but well uh, emotions for example what are emotions emotions are a measure of satisfaction of instincts. If an instinct is satisfied, we feel good about it. If certain instinct is not satisfied, we don't feel good. And these are 
dissatisfactions or dissatisfactions are emotional signals. Uh, this is also, uh, you know, this is, uh, I think I, I, I was mentioning that this is uh, a theory of Grosberg and Levine. It's about maybe 35 years ago they came up with uh, this idea. Okay. And so in your, in your work with these, with these mechanisms, I mean, have you been able to formulate any kind of a mathematical principle yep. around them? Yep, it is possible to describe these principles mathematically, and it is possible to measure them uh, in the laboratory and uh, just demonstrate that indeed these kind of measures correspond to instincts and emotions. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, this is not really completely, I would say, my uh, my, my discovery. Uh, I'm pretty much sure that Grossberg and Levine had sufficient uh, experimental evidence that this is that this is so. Right. Right. I expanded uh, theory of Grossberg and Levine. I expanded in a specific direction toward knowledge. Uh, I uh, came up with the idea that there is a specific instinct for knowledge. Uh, so we, uh, and, this, and this instinct for knowledge is very important because it explains all our higher abilities. Right, and that's one of the things that I was really curious about. You mentioned the instinct for knowledge and the evolution of our consciousness and the, the roles that music played in that. Um, for knowledge explains music, explains beautiful, and, uh, uh, so to speak, lower levels, uh, higher abilities. But uh, just if you want to talk about what's going on at near the very top of the uh, cognitive hierarchy, then we can talk about the uh, meaning, beautiful, and uh, these are related to instinct for knowledge. Yeah, I would love to hear more about that. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I don't know even know where to begin on that. So, at, at the highest level, yes. you're talking about beautiful? Yes. Uh, if we consider the hierarchy of our uh, abilities, uh, then uh, near the top of this hierarchy, uh, we... Uh, when we try to understand what's going on near the top of the hierarchy, there are uh, there are uh, beautiful correspond to satisfaction of instinct for knowledge uh, near the top of the hierarchy. Okay. So that is explanation of the beautiful. And uh, so beautiful is not, as many people think, related to uh, sexual instinct, for example. Right. Beautiful has nothing to do with sex. Not that it has really nothing to do with sex. Sex is so important that, of course, it is related to every of our abilities. But uh, the beauty, emotions of beauty are emotions of satisfaction of instinct for knowledge. Near the top of our hierarchy, yeah, so the drive, the drive for knowledge, our, our natural instinct to, to seek and, and, and incur and get knowledge, that gives us the emotion of feeling something beautiful. Yes, and uh, 
can look at, uh, or you can think about what's going on at the top of the, of the hierarchy of our knowledge uh, from the point of view of, uh, like, uh, is it possible to really understand in unity all of our knowledge? It is, uh, the answer is complicated. Yeah. Because you cannot understand everything we know. You cannot understand the same way as we understand, say, objects such as chair or table. But uh, still, it is necessary for us to understand. Knowledge in things demands that we understand uh, what's going on at the top of our mind. And uh, so uh, when, uh, when we, under and we do understand to some extent, uh, kind of what is the unity of our knowledge at the top of our mind? How? And it's, and it's all, it's all driven by this, this instinct for, for knowledge. By, by the instinct for knowledge. And, uh, well, uh, mathematical description of it is very different from, say, description of what is an, a specific object. So what is an object is very different from what is con the content at the top of our mind. Right. And uh, the specific uh, mathematics that describes what is at the top of our mind is called dynamical logic. Uh, and it is, uh, it, it describes, uh, dynamic logic is, uh, is, well, maybe I shouldn't go into this <laughs> too complicated, but uh, there is a mathematical description of uh, how we understand the unity of our entire knowledge. That it is uh, it, uh, it unifies. And when you talk about our knowledge, yep. When you talk about the unity of knowledge and unifying knowledge, what what does that mean? Uh, is that is that a big question? No, it is, it is possible to, it is possible to explain uh, we want uh, I, 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 well, let me try to answer it because yeah it is important I cannot just skip it I have to explain what it is we want to understand our all our, our entire knowledge as uh, well yeah well, same thing I will say the same thing. We want to understand it in, in unity. But uh, yeah, what, what does it mean? Uh, we, uh, I don't know, it's not, not that easy to explain. Even so, it should not be complicated. Right. Okay. Uh, we want to understand just everything that you know. It is well, at the top of our mind, at the top of, yes, at the top of the mind, uh, there is a mechanism that unifies or all our knowledge into, into unity. What does it mean, unity? Well, is it really possible? Like, for example, if you look at a chair, you can understand all chairs that you have seen in your life as something similar. Can you uh, explain in the same way for yourself, 
that everything that you know has uh, has certain has well. I don't know. I, I don't like the fact that I cannot uh, cannot say it in a, in a more clear way. So, are you talking about like the unity of a of a particular concept, like a chair, or is it the unity, kind of the grand unification of of all of my my personal knowledge into complex concepts that I can consciously understand? So, it, it's bringing together everything from physics and, and emotions and furniture to understand yeah. something yeah. bigger than just the yeah. one. This is the correct way of saying things, but uh, actually the first uh, person who was asked, no, I wouldn't go to Aristotle. Aristotle was the first one who asked this question and who tried to understand what is the unity of everything that we know. And he came to conclusion that it is related to beauty, that beauty is related to the unity of knowledge. That emotion. But, uh, it is difficult. It, it doesn't explain anything. It's right. very interesting, but it doesn't explain anything. Yeah. I it gets me closer. Uh, yeah, it gets me closer. I, 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 the unity of... Uh, if, uh, is it really possible to, under, to comprehend somehow everything that we know as, some, as, as one? Uh, it is not... Again, I would just repeat that this understanding will not be as simple as understanding of what is chair or what is living right. or what is a wall. Uh, this understanding uh, should be, but there is some sort of understanding, and uh, this understanding is the meaning of life. Right. Uh, oh, okay. It is a complicated. It is indeed a complicated things, and that's why. When people are talking about meaning, uh, there is a lot of uh, misunderstanding. People think, well, is, is there really a meaning of life? And it seems at first that no, maybe there is no, there is not, there is not really uh, one unified meaning of the entire life. But, but nevertheless, if you, if you start thinking about, uh, about the, well, uh, let me put it in a different way. Uh, if, it, if it is possible to understand our entire experience as something unified, uh, naturally we, can, we could comprehend it as the meaning of life. Uh, yeah, that's this meaning. Yeah, that's an angle of the meaning of life that that makes a lot of sense to me, and one one that I've never even never even considered. Uh, even so, and you're you're absolutely right. Uh, this is how we understand that life has a meaning. Uh, uh, this meaning is unified. Yes, is really uni our entire knowledge unified. Yeah. Uh, to which extent? Well. Obviously, again, it is not something simple, but to, to the extent there is a unified understanding of our knowledge, this is what we comprehend as meaning of life. Okay. This is why it is difficult to discuss meaning of life. Right. Because clearly that there is something, well, in our mind, there is uh, this unified representation at the top of our uh, 
at the top of our, we have the hierarchy of ideas, and at the top of this hierarchy, we uh, comprehend, or we can say, mind attempt to comprehend all of our knowledge in unity. Right. And uh, so that's uh, that's what makes uh, life meaningful. Yeah. But, uh, there is. There is something like that at the top of our mind, and uh, and even so, it it cannot be formulated as simply as a simple object. But there is something like that, and this makes our life mean. Great. No, I love that. Okay. I love, yeah, that's a that's a great explanation. Thank you. Okay. So that's that's the best we can describe it. Uh, there is mathematical description of that, and it is possible to make experiments and observe the fact that there is actually something like that, and that's just the best probably we can understand that. Okay. Good. Well, that, that sounds like uh, some excellent progress into looking at these these mechanisms and the hierarchy, and I think that that, that pinnacle of that hierarchy being, you know, beauty and meaning of life is... Uh, is an amazing way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. The uh, emotion corresponding to satisfaction of the knowledge instinct near the top is the emotion of beautiful. And here you see relationship between the meaning and the beautiful. That, uh, the, be the emotion of, of the beautiful corresponds to understanding of the meaning of life. In, in our instinct our drive to seek knowledge that brings those to us. Yes. Yeah. And how does, you know, kind of pulling music back into it, how have you found well, that the music, music plays a role? The music is even more complicated. First, but uh, before I go to music, let me just uh, mention that uh, Please. what I'm talking about can be experimentally verified, and actually it has been experimentally verified. Uh, 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 together with a colleague of mine, we analyzed how people perceive, uh, say, uh, movies, best blockbuster movies that a lot of people strongly enjoy. Right. Uh, and it turned out that uh, the moment of enjoyment corresponds to the moment in watching the movie when finally one understands what is the meaning of what, like, you were watching a movie maybe for, I don't know, say, two hours. Yeah. And near the end, uh, you understand uh, what is the meaning of what you have been watching for the last two hours. At, at, at this moment, one experiences the strongest uh, aesthetic emotion, the strongest emotion of satisfaction. And uh, so this is... Uh, uh, that, that is the meaning uh, that is on one hand the meaning of what you were watching and on the other hand you uh, feel what you understand as beautiful that right yeah no absolutely okay I can uh, I can identify with that you know and you get to a point either during a movie or uh, an hour afterwards or two weeks afterwards where the meaning comes to you and, and you feel that that real sense of beauty in the experience 
Yeah, very good. Exactly. You you said it better than uh, because I had to distract myself by thinking, but yeah, you understood it very well and you really uh, yeah. formulated it well. Well, now how does it relate to music? Right. Music. Uh, to understand what's music, we need another uh, another idea. Uh, cognitive dissonance. Uh, cognitive dissonance is considered one of the great discoveries in psychology of the 20th century. Okay. It is, uh, that, uh, we, uh, the cognitive dissonance is a theory which uh, suggests or explains the fact that we don't like contradictions. Uh, we would like to, uh, we want to understand without contradictions, uh, without, within our systems of knowledge, we don't like to have contradictions. Right. It is, it is an old idea, actually, even so it is considered a great discovery of the 20th century, but it was uh, uh, understood even by uh, ancient Greeks. Uh, many people know uh, the fable by Aesop called The Fox and the Grape. The Fox and the Grape. Oh, the Fox and the Grape. The fox sees a beautiful grape nearby. It seems uh, it would be, he would be able to get it uh, easily. But he cannot get it. It is a little bit too far to get it. And fox, of course, don't like it. First, he don't like that he cannot get the grape. Right. And, uh, and second, uh, but there is a second aspect of his negative feeling that uh, he uh, there is a contradiction in his understanding of the situation. The contradiction is that it seems he should be able to get the grape easily, but still he cannot he cannot get it. Right. And uh, Fox cannot do anything about the fact that he cannot get the grapes, that he cannot eat it. But it can resolve the contradiction between the fact that it that it seems very very close, but still it cannot get it. And the Fox can resolve this contradiction. And the Fox is telling to himself, the grape is sour. And this is something that a lot of people remember. Even so, Aesop came up with this, with this fable 25,000 years ago, and still today, uh, many people are reading and repeating this fable. Wow. And the reason is that this is how people are thinking. Uh, all, all the people. And that's what was proven experimentally in the 20th century. There was uh, dozens and dozens of experiments proved that if want something but cannot get it, you will convince yourself very fast that you, well, or maybe so far, maybe not so fast, but still you will convince yourself that you don't need it. <laughs> and uh, uh, this is uh, the essence of the cognitive dissonance theory, that we dismiss what we, can, what we cannot get. Okay. And, uh, and this is, uh, but this is, if you think about it, it is a dangerous idea that if you dismiss 
what you what you cannot get, then uh, you will just ignore knowledge. Uh, if there is a contradiction in the system of knowledge and we dismiss it, uh, uh, we dismiss this knowledge, then the entire knowledge could be dismissed. Right. Uh, because uh, because people, uh, well, whenever you hear something new, something, it is, uh, there is usually some degree of new knowledge in whichever you hear, in whichever you hear. and if uh, if we dismiss anything that is new to us then the entire knowledge will be dismissed language will not exist we will not uh, learn anything new right and uh, it turned out that music help us to overcome uh, this unpleasantness of this contradiction. How does it do that? Uh, music creates uh, certain uh, emo music creates emotions, which help us to overcome unpleasant emotions of the fact that we uh, that there is contradiction in our knowledge. Now, is that is that something that um, you would need the music? in the moment of experiencing that dissonance that well when it is a simple thing uh, it should happen in the very moment if you if you if somebody is telling you something that you uh, that you didn't know or no that it should be said slightly differently well well actually we have uh, certain ideas about everything right uh, it's very difficult to come up with something that is entirely new. So you you know you know something about almost everything in the world. And if uh, uh, so, if uh, somebody is telling you, whenever you hear something, you almost always already have opinion about this fact. Right. So therefore, uh, almost always there will be contradiction between what you hear. If it is new, then it would contradict what you already know. And the uh, theory of cognitive dissonance suggests that you will have tendency to ignore the new knowledge that you just heard. Does it make sense what I say? This should be simple. Yeah. Yeah, I'm putting it in a little bit too complicated. It should be more simple. If it if it causes discomfort, you have opinion about what it is, and you tend to ignore the new knowledge that you receive. Right, right, and so you have a missed if, opportunity if there. Really, completely right, would be completely right. Then knowledge will not. So you have to overcome that in, in music. Yes. So how exactly. is it an easy enough answer? Overcome. Yeah. How does music yes. accomplish that? Is that is that a simple enough answer? And this is what music is for. Music creates emotion which help us to overcome uh, which, which help us to overcome what we uh, this contradiction between what we already know and what we just heard. Right. And uh, another way uh, to, to put it is that uh, no, that's that's that is it. Music is needed in order to overcome 
contradiction in knowledge and therefore to accumulate knowledge. Okay. And of course, well, human civilization wouldn't exist if uh, we couldn't do it. So we, we can do it. We have enough emotions. It's not that you need to, to listen to specific music at every moment. We already have accumulated a lot of uh, emotions uh, which help us to overcome this contradiction. Okay, so it's not it's not something that we have to put music together with the contradiction. It's actually music helps us build up the emotions to help us deal with those contradictions. Yep, exactly. Oh, wonderful. And just uh, one, one example is, for example, uh, uh, majority of songs address uh, contradictory emotions, which are familiar to most of people. Like, for example, unrequited love, or uh, uh, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, that, that's a big, probably majority of uh, songs address this thing because uh, it. It exists in the world, and on one hand, we, we want to be able to uh, to love and be loved, and at the same time, we know that there is uh, a danger that it will not be returned. Yeah, so you, you listen to that song, you experience the emotions around the unrequited yeah. love, and then when you experience that, now you're able to overcome the contradiction in emotions and, and deal with it. Wow, and that, is, and that is the reason why most of popular songs address uh, address these feelings is because they are familiar to everyone. Yeah. Um, I just want to get out a couple things. I don't know if we have time to really talk about it, but I just wanted to get it out of my brain. There's a couple things here that you said that have been kind of interesting to me personally. One is this this cognitive dissonance. I'm not sure if it's the, the same thing, but one of the things I do in life is I'm a stand-up comedian. Yep. And when we craft a joke, that joke creates a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Exactly. And, That's a very good point. Yeah, and they, you, the audience releases it when you give them the punchline, and they're able to laugh and, and dissipate that dissonance. Very good. And it's the kind of same same thing with with comedy is is most of the good comedy is we, we call it relatable. So if I if I make fun of stubbing my toe or choking on food or having no money, you know, it's the kind of thing that that people relate to, and so it seems to be along kind of the same lines. Mm -hmm. And everyone has to overcome this difficulty in his life more than once. Right. Right, so I have to wonder, um, you know, if even if comedy plays a, a similar role to music in helping yeah, people through this. Interesting, interesting. Um, we're coming up close to the end of the hour, and I want to get a couple more questions in here if I could. Okay. So we may jump around a little bit, but I appreciate the, the conversation so far. It's been spectacular. Um, the notion of... Um, music connecting conscious and unconscious mind, synthesizing the two. Um, yep. what, what does that mean to synthesize those two together? And how does music play a role in that? I, I, I would, uh, one way to explain 
more or less simple way is to say that uh, that more uh, language in more general language helps us to understand the world in uh, in conscious units concepts. Right. Concepts are conscious units in which we understand the world. Okay. But uh, it, it is not enough for our mind to understand the world as split in pieces. We also want to understand the world in, in its unity. Right. And uh, at the top, uh, the higher up in the hierarchy of our understanding of the world, the more, the more uh, general and more unified concepts. Okay. We, uh, we comprehend. Yeah. And that's where music helps us to uh, unify the world, to understand the world in its unity. All right. Yeah, I can see that from what you've already shared with me. Just writing that down. All right. Um, have you ever, have you studied music in conjunction with other activities that claim to expand consciousness, I, like meditation I, or psychedelics? No, I, I, I think that music is so fundamental and so interesting and so important that I don't think that other things which are kind of uh, sometimes seem related, I don't think that they are uh, really, uh, they are capable of revealing something significant. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but there's no, the answer is no idea. Yeah, now you know. Now that we've spoken, and, and I understand more, um, I, I can totally understand that. I almost feel like the, the, with the music and what you've seen, the the benefits from that um, seems like a, a much more fundamental understanding of consciousness. Um, do you think is is it possible for one to use music to purposely? Um, unify his or her knowledge to purposely, you know, achieve that that beauty and purpose in life, or expand his or her consciousness. Yep, I thought that's certainly so. That's the reason we are listening to music all the time. Right. Yeah, we just don't know it the way you yeah. do. We just were not thinking. Usually, we listen to music because it is pleasant, and we don't uh, think about why we do. But that's the reason we listen to music. Right. Okay. Um, and then the last thing, I, I know you have the book, uh, Music, Passion, and Cognitive Function. Um, is that something I should drive people to, to Amazon and pick up? Do you have anything else yep. that you would like for me to point well, out? I would appreciate it. If you do it, I would certainly appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes came out, and if you drive people to it, it would be Yes, yes, I will absolutely do that, and I will also read it myself and uh, follow up this podcast with my, my own thoughts on it. Not that, not that that matters, but I will read it. Yep. Okay. Well, that's uh, those are the questions I had. I, ca I can't tell you how grateful I am for your time and the insight that you provided for me today. Do you have any other any other thoughts or um, anything else you want to get out there before we wrap it up? No, I think we really just discussed uh, a lot of uh, fundamentally important things that were not. Uh, let me just add one more thing, just to please. Uh, how, how to say it? Uh, to emphasize that really understanding of music is a recent thing that was not understood for a long time. 
Aristotle was probably the first one who said that music, that it is, he said, uh, it's not understood today why music being just sound, uh, why, why music being just sound affects uh, us emotionally. Right. Why uh, sound reminds, like, to kind of recite Aristotle, why the sound reminds states of soul. And after Aristotle, a lot of people were trying to understand. And uh, Kant was, is uh, one of the people who was trying to understand music and, and could not. He's a great guy. He understood what is beautiful. He understood the, the beautiful is related to, uh, to the meaning. Uh, but he couldn't understand his music. Wow. And I would also say that uh, more close to our, to our time was Darwin, who thought that everything in the living world could be understood, at least in principle, within his theory of evolution. With one exception. He said the music is the greatest mistake. Music could not understood, and this is something that future scientists will have to understand. So I hope that today maybe we, uh, we come close. Yeah, yeah, it, it sounds like it. And I, I really appreciate all the work you've done into helping us understand music. Okay, thank you. All right, Dr. Pulaski, well, I, I really appreciate your time today. And if